0: So, let's start we're starting in Philippians 2. Now, if you wasn't here, my last time I taught, I taught all the way through verse 8. So, um, in Philippians 2. So, I'm going to pick up on verse 9. And for the most part, Brother Donald, I'm going to be out of the NIV. But I did have some notes on here that I wanted to put. So, verse 9 says this. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name, we're talking about Jesus, that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, for those of you who haven't been with me when I've been teaching out of the prison epistles, this was Paul writing from prison to some of the churches he started. So when we did um, Ephesians and now we're in Philippians, um, I said, let's pretend like Paul is writing that to the church in Berwick. And so we've kind of been studying this as if he was writing it personally to us and what we can glean from that. Um, because if God allowed it to be in the word of God, it has to be important, right? And so it says all scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, um, so let's see what it says here. So right here, Paul was talking, um, if, you, if you just back up really quick to verse five, it says this, and probably why I couldn't get past it, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Well, that's a whole right there, message right there. But then it talks about how Jesus was, his attitude, how it was. And then it says in verse 9, which is where we're going to pick up. Therefore, because of everything he was, verses 6 through 8, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name, that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So, and Paul's reached his crescendo in these final verses about Jesus, because he's been talking about Jesus. Um, He says this, he began with his resurrection when men buried the body of Jesus, that was the last thing any human hands did to him. Now, before that, human hands had done a whole lot to him. This is the very last thing they did was crucify him. Um, Men had done their very worst to the Savior, but God exalted him and honored him. Jesus arose from the dead and returned in victory to heaven, ascending to the Father's throne. Jesus' exaltation included sovereign authority over all creatures in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every person and every creature. C.S. Lewis said it this way. In the Christian story, God descends... He descends to reascend. He comes down, down to the very roots and the seabed of the nature that he created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world with him. Because he came down. Remember we talked about that, um, I think the last time I taught in Philippians, how, how just at Christmas time how it was so perfect because not only did he come to earth, but he chose to come into the uterus of a woman that he created as a baby born in the lowliest of conditions, you know, and that, so that was very humbling experience, you know, he could have just came as the savior right then, but he chose that. Then he chose to submit to his earthly authority, which I don't even know what would be, be worse. And, and I, okay, so we had a little episode with Hayden this past week, of course, and, uh, another come to Jesus meeting with Hayden, And Hayden's really struggling. He's 15, and he's, you know, like all teenagers, he's stuck between man and child. And because he's a guy, you know, God has put that in them that they are going to be the head of something. It just ain't today. (laughs) But he gets confused sometimes, both of them do, on is it today? And he wants to be the boss of somebody, and it's not me. But he wants to. So we had a little issue with Hayden this past week, and I was it always throws me for a loop because I always think that I'm trucking right along, and I even had the audacity to say, Man, I might do, I might see if we, the, anybody's interested in doing a parenting class. You know, we can just share and learn together, and then this happened, and I was like, Heck, I need a parenting class. I, don't need, I can't teach a parenting class. I need a parenting class. But all that to say this, I'm laying in bed one night, and I'm thinking, and it has got to be really tough when I remember. Being a teenager and thinking I knew everything. And thinking my parents knew nothing. And really believing that in my heart. They knew nothing. I mean, how in the world could they be that dumb? And I'm thinking about Hayden, who I'm sure was having probably a lot stronger thoughts about how could we be that dumb. And, you know, because, and because he's a good kid normally. So when he gets in trouble, it's always this big blow. But then, I, okay, then I go back to Jesus, who was God. Like, fully God and fully man. And he had to submit to earthly parents that he created. Okay, it's one thing for my 15-year-old to think that he knows more than me. He doesn't, but he thinks he does. But it's another thing for Jesus as a boy to know he knows more than them, but has to submit like he doesn't. I'm like, I, I, anyway, I, sometimes if some of those things hit me like that, and I'm like, Lord, you did that for me. Because I know... I, Let's be real. I know Hayden wants to just knock us out sometimes, you know. He won't because he respects us, but you know he does. They do. They want to just knock you. Like, you know, I, Jesus, he was fully man. I'm like, did, I wonder, did he ever? I need to talk to Mary because I'm just wondering. <laughs> did, did you ever try to correct him and you, he just had that look like, who do you think you are? <laughs> I mean, I get the look from my teenager. I don't know. <laughs> just like, who do you think you are, Right. I don't know. Anyway, he did that. So like it wasn't humbling enough to come into the uterus of a woman he created. Like it wasn't humbling enough to be born under the circumstances he was born to by all things out of wedlock. If it wasn't humbling enough that he had to submit as a a teenager to parents who he knew more than but then have to go through the cruelty of the cross. And so I don't think it's too far fetched when Paul says, hey guys, have the same attitude as Christ because you have not even done a fraction of the humility he did for you. You know, and I think if we could ever get that, sometimes, man, I, I, I start thinking about what Jesus did and all of a sudden I'm, I'm humbled once again that he loves me that much. So he, after he's explaining all that, he says this, verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends in Berwick, because we, we talking, we're going to pertain to us as you have always obeyed, not only in your, in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Okay, let's stop right there. If you remember the church, if you were with me when I taught in in Ephesians, the church of Ephesus wasn't quite doing things right. So they got a lot more correction from Paul. So Paul finally had this church who was doing things right. So he was saying, hey, not only are you obedient in my presence, but you were also when I wasn't around. Again, think about parenting. You know, it's one thing for my kids to, to obey me, but it's another thing for me not to be around and then still do what's right. That's when you have to appeal to their heart. And somewhere, Paul appealed to the church of uh, Philippi to their heart. And so, but here's what, but then he goes on to say this. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, today when I was studying that, I was like, what does that really mean? Because we are really quick to quote that kind of stuff, right? We're all working out our salvation, we're all trying to figure it out. We're all trying to work out our sanctification. We're all trying to work out our convictions. And then what's my convictions? What's what am I being convicted about by the Holy Spirit? What's a, you know, the pastor's wife convicting me about that maybe not the Holy Spirit, but it's her convictions. What and we trying to work that out, right? But I thought it was interesting that when he says, Paul says this, work continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Then he says, For it is God who works in you. The the two words there that are uh, works, we work out our salvation, God works in us are actually the same word in our English language but was not the same word in the Greek. Sometimes we have to go back to the context. Okay? So I, I actually screenshot it today so let me, um, let me get to it and read it to you. I thought it was just really interesting. Okay, the Greek let me make sure this was the first one. Yes. The Greek word translated work in verse 12. And verse 12 is where it says, work out your salvation. Means to continue a a task. So we're going to continue the task. Carry it out to completion. So let's read that like that. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to the task that I've called you to. Carry it out to completion. So you see that, how that goes? So that's the work. We're going to continue what we started. We're going to keep. We're going to keep working at it, continue to complete it. We're going to keep working out this salvation thing, this sanctification thing until it's completed, which will be when? When we get to heaven. That's right. So we're going to keep working and we don't, we don't arrive here on earth because there will always be somebody else driving stupid on the street, right? And then we are tested once again or whatever, or you have teenagers and then it's tested once again. And then sometimes I don't even act like a Christian. Okay. Is it just me? Okay, anybody else living with teenagers? All right. Okay, so listen to this. Now, okay, carry it out into completion. Oh, wait, did I read the... In verse 13, it says this. The Greek word translated work in verse 13 is one that means provides the ability and means or the energy. So let's look at verse 13. For it is God who provides the ability and means and the energy... To will and act according to his good purpose. Now I don't know about you. But how many is glad that God provides. In ourself we are not able. To work out this salvation to completion. Right? I mean unless you're better than me. I, I am not able to do this. So God gives us the energy. How many would like some of that? The energy and the ability to carry out the task until completion. Thank the Lord. So, what's so Paul Paul's saying to him? Like, listen, you need to finish this, but don't worry, because it's God who gives you the ability to do it, to, to complete it. Okay. So, let me see. I thought that was one more thing I wanted. Y'all, that was good? It was good. Yeah, you got now. Okay. Now the light is dawning. The passage meaning is clear. When it comes to maintaining a healthy relationship with God, we do something, we do our part, and then God does his part. Okay. I want to suggest that these two verses together express the Christian life, our relationship with God as unconditional good news. We are not puppets being micromanaged by God. We are responsible people in a personal relationship with a personal God. But on the other hand, we are weak and God gives us everything we need to maintain a healthy relationship with him. So let's look at those verses again. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, Paul's writing this, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Um, The Philippians have been a very responsive church, eager to do what is good. Paul is asking them to take one more step, applying the humility of Christ to their interpersonal relationships. So Paul says in verse 5, Hey, you need to have the same attitude of Christ. Then he goes on to explain that attitude, what Christ really was, and then he's, then he goes right into that saying that there is no other better no higher name than Jesus every Everyone will bow, whether you want to or not. there will be a day where everyone will bow, but then he says this, but therefore continue to do this because God is going to give you what it what it takes to complete this I mean if he didn 't we couldn 't. We, ha- we have to rely on that. I have to, man, I fall short so often. We all fall short. And we have to know that it's not about giving up. It's about the journey. And each day I'm getting a little better. And each day I'm, I'm working this thing out. I'm working out uh, my, my convictions. I'm working out my prayer life. I'm working out my thoughts. I'm working out when God offends me. Because that happens. Right? How about when he don't perform like we think he should perform? And we got to work that kind of stuff out. And so, um, okay, so let's move on. Good? Everybody's good? All right. Now, verse 14 says this. Here we go. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, if you have kids at all, that should be tattooed on their forehead. Or maybe on yours so they can read it. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I quoted that so many times when my boys were little. And then if you're going to fight about it, go on outside with it. it. But the Bible says, do everything without complaining or arguing. How do we do that? We live in a society where it is normal, acceptable to complain. And sometimes, listen, I'm just as guilty, but sometimes I catch myself. Sometimes I start working out my own salvation. I start working on my salvation. And sometimes I have to stop myself and see, I've been to a third, how many has been to a third world country? Anybody in here? Okay, I've been to a couple of third world countries, and we are a blessed people. I've taken my boys to third world countries so that I can tell them all the time that's a first world problem. No, I'm not really concerned that you can't have your phone after 1030 at night. That's a first world problem. See, you have a phone, right? Right. They actually all do two in the third world country, by the way. But anyway, they don't have electricity, but they have a cell phone. It's crazy. Anyway, um, but, the, but Paul's saying here, listen, he's talking to a church who's doing it right. That's what I want you to get, okay? He's talking to a church that's saying, hey, guys, I, I'm, when I think about you, I rejoice because you're doing this. Not even when I'm, You're not even doing it right when I'm there, but you're doing it right when I'm not there. Like, you guys are getting it. You're doing it right. But I want to remind you of a few things don't complain and argue and everything we should have we should be thankful guys we have the hope we have the hope because one day it's going to all make sense one day what we do that has eternal value is going to be worth what happens I, sometimes i get so frustrated sometimes because you know sports is big in my house and and uh, you know it can be devastating when your team loses like lsu and uh, i say I get it, except it has no eternal value. They're kids who need Jesus. By the way, did you see Alabama win the other night? Did you see the quarterback? I'm, I'm, I'm working out my salvation, because I can't like Alabama, but now they got that quarterback who's speaking in tongues on TV. I'm like, what am I supposed to I'm in a very dilemma right now. I don't know what I'm going to do, because I'm all about God and this kid who had a great game was giving God all the glory and I don't want to like Alabama at all. I'm in a dilemma. I need prayer. Okay. But just like that, that's what, that's what, that's what Hayden said today. Hunter said today. He said, you could say Ro Tula, that his name, Tua. I said, I I don't even know if I could say that. (laughs) I don't even know. But I love that. You know what I love about that? This is off the subject. That my boys have somebody to look up to. I love that. Eternal value. What's eternal? That kid right there, if he can keep it straight, work out his salvation, will have lots of eternal value, because what he's doing publicly. But you know what, guys? It doesn't matter if we on TV winning a, what they won national championship. It doesn't matter, you know, because God sees that just like He sees what happens in my car, just like He sees what happens in my house, just like He sees me losing my mind on my kids. Like He sees all of that. He's God. He's everywhere, and so. We want to make sure that we're working that out. And we want to make sure that we want to do everything without complaining and arguing. Verse 15. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. In which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of God. My Bible, I have a little thing down here that says... Where it says out, it says onto. So I I just scratched that out and I put, as you hold onto the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ. I'm going to get to that in a minute. So let me go, let me back up. 14, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. I don't know about you, but I never really associated pure with not arguing. But do everything without complaining or arguing so that you will be blameless and pure. Now, this is the way my mind works. So does that mean if I complain and argue, then I put myself in a position where I can get blamed and not be pure? Because, you know, I was listening to a podcast today and, and the guy said this. He said, we create our culture. We create our atmosphere, which you've heard me say that plenty of times. We speak and we prophesy our future. So what are we speaking? Are we speaking life? Or are we speaking a whole bunch of I can't, right? We, we prophesy our future. Well, he was saying this, we create a culture. And, he, and I thought I was, I studied this already and I was just getting dressed and I put on a podcast. And he said, and I thought, oh, this goes with that scripture because this is what he said. He said, you ever noticed how the very thing you're complaining about without even knowing it, you um, attract people that kind of complain about the same thing? And I thought, that's true because if I'm upset with somebody, I'm not going to go to the person who I know is not upset with them or who won't be upset with them because misery loves company. So I'm going to attract people that can shasha how I feel, right? So then we begin to create this culture of disunity, of complaining, of, you know, and. It's funny because what I have control over is my home. That's my authority area. Well, actually, this church too because God's put us here. But I have control of my home area. I have authority there. So I can choose what I allow to come into my house. So Satan's not allowed there. So we, even when they were li- my boys were little, I'd say this, don't be bringing. I would do, I told y'all this, I would do spirit checks at the door because sometimes them boys would come from school and I don't know what done got on them. But we would stop right at the door and say, we're doing a spirit check. We're going right. You ain't bringing that in my house. That's why I tell, you're going to pay your tithes because there's no curse coming over my house. See, this is, what I, this is my authority. This is the part that God's given me dominion over, right? My home. And so, I have to be careful because attitudes are contagious. So, if I start complaining, if I start being negative, if I start um, arguing... Then all of a sudden, people start complaining. Then before I know it, I have a whole culture of complainers. Let's go the opposite way. If I speak faith, if I'm joyful, if I'm excited, then I create a culture of people that have faith. Hasn't that been true since we've been here? Have your, has your faith been built because of my faith? I feel that way because I've created a culture. Well, okay, so wherever God has placed you in your home, I'm sorry, I didn't know this was still on. In your home, at work, wherever God's placed you, create the culture and let it start with, I'm not going to complain, I'm not going to argue, I'm going to choose to obey the word of God and in all things rejoice. And if I don't want to rejoice, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. That's not even the word of God, but that's good. If I can't rejoice, I'm just going to be quiet. Because I'm not going to create a culture of what I don't want around me. Okay? So when he says that, right? So anyway, that was on the podcast today. And I thought, man, that's so true. Because sometimes I wonder, guys, I'm going to tell you, as pastors, I can always tell what people are talking about us at home. One way, just so you all know. One way, how your kids respond to us. Because if you're creating a culture at home where you are loving and honoring the pastor, their teacher, the cops, whoever. Kids kids can't fake it. They don't even know how to do that yet. So they will, because of the culture you create in your home, they will carry that culture out. So if you have a culture of respect, then they're going to have a culture of respect. If you have a culture of complaining, they'll have a culture of complaining. And you may can fake it, but they can't. We were at the, I was at the open house. I know I got, we got, I was at open house Monday night and we had a baseball meeting after and only in Berwick that you could say this, but if the parent wasn't at the baseball meeting, you couldn't play. I was like, what if you're like a oh, great, nope, your parents not there. You can't play. That's why I wasn't at prayer. Cause I had to be there. Cause Hunter was getting colic because I was, I was with Mr. Harry the doctor. So anyway, so I get there and, and the coach, the baseball coach is going over all these rules and he says this during the meeting, he says, Hey, guys, I'm going to do things this season that you're going to think I'm the biggest idiot you've ever seen. He said, and I'm okay with that. And if you need to tell another parent that, that's fine. But what you cannot do is tell that kid that. Because if the kid brings that disrespect back to me, he can't play for me. And that's on you. And I thought, that was pretty good. What he's saying is, don't argue and complain. If He said, if you don't like something and you think I did something that's dumb, come talk to me. Which, according to Matthew 18, is what we should do as Christians. Now, he was talking to probably a whole bunch of... wasn't Christians. But you know what? It's the same principle anywhere we go. We have to create a culture of honor, of respect, of faith. So, you... So, if you are... If you find yourself... Here's, what to, here's your homework this week. I want you to take an inventory of the people that you surround yourself with. And say, are the people in my life... That are in my life on a daily basis... Are they positive? Are they negative? Are they faith-filled? Are they rejoicing? Are they complaining? And then do a little self-check on yourself. What culture am I creating? I'm going to end right here. Paul says this. He says, verse 15. Well, maybe verse 14 again. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. My goodness, if that was way back then, I wonder what he's thinking now. Okay? In which, in this depraved and crooked generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe... As you hold on to the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor for nothing, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink often on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What Paul was saying there is that, listen, he said, listen, one day when I get to heaven, let it be worth it that I poured into your life. Do this thing Right. Be the stars. See see what happens with the stars is they shine in darkness. It's a black sky and they shine. He's saying in this wicked and depraved generation, in the darkness of the world, be the stars that shine bright. Be different, guys. We are different. Be different. So Paul says one day it will all be worth it, everything we did. Right? Okay, I'm going to end right there and pray. Lord, I thank you. God, that you always call us to be more than we think we could be. And God, what you're calling us to do is to be pure and blameless. God, to not argue with each other, to not complain. It doesn't have to be my way or this way, God. God, help me to create a culture of honor and respect. Help me to create a culture, God, of rejoicing and faith, God. Help me, God, to be different. Help me to shine like the stars. God, I ask that for each and every per- every person here. God, that you would help them, God. God, that you would put something, a seed in them tonight. God, that will grow to be great. God, that they would be part of you, God. Part of your humility. God, part of your greatness, Lord. I just thank you right now, God, for your word that's alive and active. I thank you that we can believe your word, God. And God, that we can be better, God, than what we think we can be because you are in us. God, I thank you for Um, favor over this house. God, so, 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 so much going to thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.